Okay, so this lovely puppy is on. So let's start over here. So good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast God's Holy Word. I'm your lovely host Leslie Sullivan. Today is episode 68, and we are going to be taking a look at Exodus chapter 12. And again, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. And just FYI for my listeners on my podcast, I'm recording this. live on a video here. I'm going to post that, but I'm also recording this on Otter, which is a pretty good app, but every so often it messes up. So FYI, if there are any issues, we will correct those afterwards. But I want to show my viewers here the Bible that I'm reading from. It's a real pretty Bible. This is the Amplified Bible. It has great text in it. It's double columns, so that's always a good thing there. And this is a really good Bible. And again, um this one was recommended in a video I think of uh, Joyce Meyer she recommended the amplified bible and I really liked the translation itself and she tends to read from that one quite a bit and I think it's a really good translation um there's another translation that I purchased here re- recently I think it's the is it the good english bible or the common english bible I get it mixed up um I think it's the common english bible I think it's what is used in just regular pews or something at churches but i heard a uh, doctor jerry savell reading from that version and i think uh, going forward or at least on one of the next episodes i will read from that bible once i receive it because i did purchase it from amazon.com let's go ahead and dive into this puppy so again we are reading from exodus chapter 12 from the amplified bible and so this is from the old testament and so this is a very detailed description here of the israelites We're going to be discussing the Passover lamb, the feast of unleavened bread. So this is the beginning or part of the beginning of the different feasts that the Jews and the Israelites established way, way long back in the past, like thousands of years ago. So this is way before Jesus's time. So they're setting up all these feasts and things of that nature. So it's interesting is that the Eucharist or communion, whichever word you want to use, and again the word Eucharist, it's what Catholics use a lot and also I think Greek Orthodox Eastern Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, but just FYI, the word Eucharist is not just for one denomination. It's for all Christians. So whenever you have a denomination that tries to steal a word and make it seem like they're the only ones that can use that word, be aware of the thief. So just be aware of that. On FYI for the people that are watching this video, I know my eye makeup looks darker on this side than on this side, but actually it's not because if you see here, it's just the sun coming in and just I guess whiting out this I make up here but I'm sitting next to one of my windows in my apartment and it kinds it tends to wash out the side of my face because I'm fair skin but I can also tan. So FYI be aware of that. Um uh, so as I was saying this particular chapter in the book of Exodus it talks about the feast of unleavened bread very interesting there. Um it talks about the exodus of Israel, the ordinance of the Passover and then chapter 13 goes into the consecration of the firstborn. And what's really interesting is that with the consecration of the firstborn what that reminds me of and I'm jumping ahead just a little bit but what it reminds me of is whenever whenever we tithe we give our first 10%. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about tithing for just a moment. Tithing is very important to our faith journey with Jesus Christ and our Lord. And here's why. Everything we have comes from God. So technically what he's giving us is not ours even though He is blessing us. He, all he requests is the first 10% of whatever he gives us. And I think that's reasonable because we get to keep the other 90%. And then whatever we give him, we give him 10% right. 
He blesses our 90% that we keep above and beyond what we could ever imagine. And I have witnessed that in my life. I know other people have experienced that in their life as well. And what's interesting is that when I did not understand the tithe, because I was not raised in a tithing house per se, it wasn't seen as something positive. It was just kind of ugh, a, a, a not, not grudge, but kind of like drudgery, kind of like, oh, I have to do this. You know, because um, I'll say this, like, I was raised, I shouldn't use the word like, it's just habit, like whenever I watch the movie Clueless or something. So, excuse my language. I don't like sounding like that. Um, but anyway, so as a little girl, um, I was raised Church of Christ. And so once I started earning an allowance, I was forced to tithe. It was not an option. And I did not like the church I was raised in. So needless to say, I was thinking to myself as a little girl, I can't stand this church. I don't like this church. Why am I being forced to give my money to these people that I don't like? I don't agree with what they teach, what they preach, how they treat women and children. I just think it's really not good. And so it was very difficult for me to part with my money even as a little girl. So, but also we were not we were not raised um in a positive environment, especially in terms of our faith. Like it just kind of felt like why would I give to to an organization that doesn't love me or respect me? I mean, it was just browbeating hate every Sunday, every Sunday morning, Sunday night, and then Wednesday night. It's like three times a week we were being fed this garbage. So just FYI know that the tithe should never be given out of grudgery or uh, drudgery. Um it should never be out of spite or I have to do this or well I don't want to go to hell so I'll just give to God. No. The Bible always speaks about whenever you give of your basically of whatever God has given you what he's blessed you with when you give the the first 10% it's supposed to be out of joy. And so I knows that whenever I gave out of reluctance and just oh I guess I'll do this nothing positive ever came into my life. In fact, it made it worse because whatever I was giving to God, even though he he gave me what he gave me, whatever I gave back to him was not my best. And even though It was the first 10% some of the time not all the time because I was like I got bills to pay, I got things to do. You know, God has enough money, what do I care? It was my mindset and my heart that were not in line with the purpose of the tithe. So, you have to have this joy of the Lord in order to really understand the importance of the tithe and also to receive the the blessing and the sevenfold or hundredfold blessing of the tithe otherwise if you're just giving it but you don't really mean it then God's going to be like why why are you bothering with this it kind of reminds me of in Genesis where where you have Cain and Abel both of them gave a tithe but one was his best the other was not his best one was close to the, was close to the Lord was close to God excuse me the other was not it was just kind of like uh i'll give you what this is you know she's like mm, you know that kind of attitude there there's a reverence that needs to be there and reverence doesn't mean that your brow beaten and your head is down or like oh lord forgive me or oh lord don't strike me with lightning it's that is not reverence that is cowardly and that is fearful we are not supposed to be like that if you were in a church that promotes that You need to leave that church because that that's not a church, that's a cult. Um anyone that browbeats you and makes you feel like oh, like this, like your your shoulders are hunched over. And I know so I've done that in the past. 
I notice that whenever I whenever I'm around people that I don't like or I don't trust or make me uncomfortable, I'm just kind of like this because I'm reminded of what I was raised in because I was raised in a cult. And then, you know, I just remember the the false doctrines that I was raised in over the years. So there was Church of Christ and then there was the Catholic Church. Now, mind you, the Catholic Church, I'm going to lower the brightness of my screen here on my computer because it's kind of like blinding me. Um So anyway, uh well I shouldn't say blinding me. That's not a true statement. We we need to be careful what we say. It was bothering my eyes. I'm not going blind. I refuse to go blind. Um but anyway, so Catholicism I willingly converted to and what I did not realize at the time was that I was just trading one cult for another. And so I noticed that whenever I tithed in the Catholic Church, I never felt right about it. I just never did. I mean, I try and get excited about it, be like I'm tithing, but I kind of you know something doesn't feel right on the inside something doesn't seem right so if something doesn't seem right you know that's your sixth sense or your conscience or maybe the holy spirit letting you know hey pump the brake here if something doesn't feel right when you're tithing or when you're doing anything especially with money you need to pump the brake and ask yourself what is the problem why am i having this issue is this is this something that i need to back away from you know one of those things and what i noticed was that whenever i was tithing in the catholic church i hardly ever prayed about it i was like well you know the church expects 10% and the priest is poor but that's because they stupidly took a vow of poverty i mean who takes that kind of vow because it goes directly against what's in this word you know you know the holy bible talks about god blessing us you know poverty is associated with the curse It's associated with a curse. It's not associated with being a blessing. So why would you curse yourself? It makes no sense to me. But needless to say, you know, th- there is a difference between wanting to give and then feeling like I have to give. If ever you feel like you have to give or I have to do this, you- your motives and your intentions are not good. Even though you may be going through the motions. that's just literally all that you're doing. You're just going through the motions, but the sincerity of the heart is not there. So, you know, let me say this. I would say it took about 34, 35, maybe 36 years of God working on my heart for me to really understand his love for me because I'm 38 and I rededicated my life to Christ last year. And I wish I had done it a whole lot sooner. I just wasn't sure where to go or what to do because I knew that what I was raised in was not my choice. It's not what I agreed with and whenever I would read God's word, I would see it completely differently than what I was being raised in and then also what I converted to. Like I was seeking. I guess you could say I was a seeker. I was constantly seeking God. I wasn't finding him. But see here's the thing. God was always there. It's just I fell for the trap of oh you have to have a denomination you have to you know do this you have to do these religious rules you have to do all these ordinances you have to do all this and that and you have to please all these people screw that excuse my language um it's one of those things that we're not on this earth let me just the screen we're not on this earth to please people okay if you live your life to please people the more your head's going to be down the more you're going to be hunched over because you're never going to feel fulfilled you're never going to feel loved you're never going to feel valued we are only supposed to serve our heavenly father like we don't serve mankind we serve our heavenly father now here's the thing 
when we serve our heavenly father just by nature of doing that we are supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves and i got some funky neighbors where i live so some of them are not very nice people so needs to say um i pray for them and uh, some of them i avoid because some of them um i really want to call the police on them if ever they do what they did to me again um so it's one of those things that you you have a responsibility You know, when you're a Christian to love people, but that doesn't mean you're a doormat and that doesn't mean that that you should just take on this browbeating from other people. That is not the love of Jesus Christ. So that's why we're going through chapter by chapter and book by book every so often on this podcast cuz sometimes I I just go through a verse and I break it down and say, "Hey, you know, this is what this is talking about. This is where it's coming from the Greek, the Hebrew, the Latin, not so much Latin because the the Catholic Church kind of stole that language, but really what's interesting is that the Catholic Church they have a Latin mass, but yet Latin um is a Roman language. So, why would you be speaking in a language um that persecuted and murdered and tortured Christians? It it was graphic, it was horrific. Um, you know, the the Romans, they set Christians on fire for fun. And that's not even in the Colosseum. Like there was one emperor, I'm trying to remember if it was Nero. I have to go through cuz I used to know all about these different emperors, but I think it was Nero. Um, he he would have these lavish parties, right? Because he's the emperor of Rome. Well, what he would do for entertainment for his guests is he would dip these Christians in oil and then set them on fire right in front of his guests while they're eating at a banquet and here's the thing that was considered entertainment it's not like a single one of his guests at least that I'm not aware of it's not like a single one of his guests said what are you doing how how can you set people on fire like that see here's the thing that's how the roman empire set fear in people you know you have to be careful who you share a meal with But one of the things that Roman emperors would do is they would invite people to their palace or their house, their well they don't have condos because that would be ghetto and trashy for a Roman emperor, but to their villas and things like that because they're super wealthy because of the taxes they bring in that are from their citizens, right? Not from slaves, but from their citizens. One way to intimidate your enemies or to intimidate your adversaries or to intimidate people that you're not sure about, like for example, the senators, um the Roman senators, uh that were very much for a republic they were not always for an emperor so there was always this conflict between the senators of Rome and the Roman emperor well one way that Roman emperors would would keep control over the bureaucrats and the senators and anybody with a lot of money um aristocrats i should say in the Roman society is they would invite them to their house and they would torture christians right in front of them just for a meal time meal time entertainment and that was one way of instilling fear, control and domination over the 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 I guess the populace and the society. The slaves, I mean, yes, they controlled them and yeah, they would mutilate them, torture them, and I don't mean that to sound flippant, but that that was just how the Romans were. I mean, look at what they did to our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, they they scourged him, they they whipped him, they spit on him, they crucified him. I mean, it was you know, the Romans, they were very skilled um as murderers although it was legal for them because they were an empire they were very skilled at murdering killing torturing invading oppressing beating enslaving like that was their society that was their culture so not only was it an empire it was a way of thinking 
not only just for the emperor, whoever it may be, whether it's Nero, Julius Caesar, uh Pompey, um, you know, just all these different guys that were emperors. There were, there were a couple queens in there every now and then, but I mean, it was kind of it was always a fight for the throne, you know, and nothing is new with that. But, you know, yes, Rome was an empire, but it also was a society and it also was a culture. So Rome was very successful at controlling people on a massive scale because I think it was the Roman Empire that they had more slaves than they did citizens. So the Roman Empire had to be very graphic and very brutal to control their slaves. I don't mean that they that you just have to do that. I mean that that was how they controlled their slaves was look at what we're willing to do to people that are not slaves. Imagine what we'll do to you. That was how they controlled the populace, meaning multiple different uh, demographics of their society. So, what I find interesting is that the Catholic Church and the Roman Catholic Church—they call themselves Roman Catholic Church—when um, they speak in Latin and write in Latin or have a Latin Mass, they're using the language of killers. It's it's really what they're doing. It's like that's not Christian. Um, so. It's very interesting what what people will associate themselves with, because it's not always it's not always the will of God. You know what I mean? Like whenever I'm reading a translation, I prefer the Greek and the Hebrew, because to me that's purer. That that's getting down to the real root of the words of the translation. And I started to really doubt my faith um, in within Catholicism when I when I taught myself Latin. So that I could speak and understand the Latin, you know, whenever I go to a mass. And plus, I was a lector, um, which is a reader. I was a, Euchar- a Eucharistic minister. Um, I was also a sacristan, so I was very involved. I mean, I I dived in and got involved. And it's like the more I got involved, the more I was like, I'm not really sure I can do this anymore. And then when I learned, uh, taught myself Latin, I kind of realized, okay, this is the language of some very evil, wicked people from times past. Like this is not. I don't think this is something that should be glorified. I'm not saying that we can't ever use Latin, but Latin was the language of the Roman Empire, so it, it wasn't pro-Christian at all, and so um, it was very well, at least not until Augustine. Um, but anyway, I'm getting off track. But anyway, you just need to be careful about what you read, um, you know, especially in regards to translations of the Bible, um, because you really want to get what I call the meat and potatoes of the meal, so to speak. So whenever you're having a meal, you know, there was this one guy I dated, and it didn't last very long, but um, he was a vegetarian of sorts. He was very extreme, and I didn't understand what kind of vegetarian he was. But he just didn't ever want to have steak or potatoes. I'm like, I don't think you understand. I'm from Oklahoma. We eat beef, pork, bread, butter, cheese, cheesecake. We we eat chicken and turkey, predominantly beef and pork. But you know, we we eat. You know, so um, needs to say that relationship was doomed to fail because of lack of meat in the relationship. But here's the thing: whenever we would eat a meal. It always felt like there was something missing because something was missing: protein, um, nutrients, calcium, uh, B12, uh, all the different. I think there's like D2 and D3 um, in terms of vitamins, uh, vitamin A, vitamin E. I mean, just nutrients and biotin, and, and you know, from meat you also get collagen, especially if you are uh, 
utilizing a beef broth. Um, so it's just one of those things that just never felt right just to be eating plants all day because I felt sick because I wasn't getting the nutrients that I needed. And then um, also I noticed that whenever I don't eat enough meat, I lose my hair. So needless to say, in regards to translations, you need to get the meat and the potatoes of the translation. You need to get God's holy word and you need to be fed the word. You need to be spiritually fed the best possible meal from the Lord and that is his holy word and good translations like this. There are many translations out there that are great, but get a good one. Get a good one because if you get a bad translation, it's going to be just like this vegan guy that The relationship went nowhere, and he just looked sick all the time. I was like, "Man, you're probably anemic, and the blood bank has no use for you." So, um, just FYI, be aware of that. Let's go ahead and dive into this chapter here. Kind of a long opening, but just thought I'd say some things. Um, so, FYI for my viewers that are watching the video, ever so often my computer blacks out because it's like if I'm not moving my mouse or typing, it goes dormant, and it it's stuck on a screensaver of some sort. I don't know what's going on with it. But just FYI, if I look up and I have to move my mouse and I kind of get a little distracted, it's so that the computer comes back up and so that the video and the feed does not stop or whatever. So just FYI, be aware of that. So let's go ahead and dive into this puppy here. So this is chapter 12 again of uh, let's see the Book of Exodus in the Amplified Bible. So it says the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. So again, the Lord is speaking, literally speaking. So this isn't just a mist or a fog or something like that. You know, this isn't a new age awakening or something or Buddha or something like that. You know, this is the Lord. This is Yahweh. This is our heavenly Father speaking, literally speaking to Moses and Aaron, okay? And they are in the the land of Egypt, so basically out in a desert. So it says this month shall be the beginning of month to you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. So God is setting a new standard. He's setting a new calendar. So whenever you see the calendar of the Jewish people, I think this year, I think it's 5783. I'll have to confirm that. But, you know, they started or they, it wasn't they, it was God. He started a new basically calendar year. He's starting brand new. So just so you know, whenever you give your life to Christ, that's you drawing a line in the sand. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. Everything is wiped clean, your slate is wiped clean, your sins have been forgiven. It's a new dawn, new day. It's basically a new calendar day and year and a new eternity for you. But you are with God and God is with you. That is the importance of your relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's how much God values the human race. He actually basically redesignated the I guess you could say the the lifehood or the you know how we live our life by a new calendar year a new calendar day like he he set it up basically giving them a new time a new life and you know what's interesting is that it says they are they are in the land of Egypt which is a desert right so sometimes we are not in you know a lush green um acapulco you know situation right sometimes we are in the desert when god gives us a new beginning So please recognize that just because you're in a desert or maybe you're in a situation that doesn't feel good, doesn't look good, you're kind of iffy, you're not sure, that doesn't mean that God is done with you and that doesn't mean that he can't make things brand new for you. He will always do something new for you 
always, 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 especially if you believe. Because if you don't believe, there's not a whole lot that God can do for you. Because it's one of those things, if you don't believe in God, and if you don't believe in the goodness of God, and you don't believe in his blessings, then you're not going to be aware of the blessings that are right in front of your face. You know, because you're thinking, well, nothing good happens to me. It's like, well, do you have food, water, shelter? Do you, do you have a job? You know, do you do you have a good family? You know, do you have a wonderful spouse? Do you, do you have um do you have, you know, beautiful children? You know, do you have a nice car? You know, do you, you know, can you breathe? Can you walk? You know, just think about all the blessings that you have in your life. These are wonderful things, right? So that's really good. Goes on to say, tell all the congregation of Israel. So basically, tell everybody. Make everybody aware. So don't just tell a few and pick favorites. That's why favoritism is not good and that's why nepotism is not good. Because God shows no partiality, okay? He does not pick favorites like that. We his people are his favorites. But God doesn't say, "Well, I like this person, but I don't like this prophet. I like that prophet, but not this one." No, if you are one of God's children and you believe and and you are one of his people, you are his favorite. because we are all part of his family. I hope that makes sense. So just know that God is trying to get the message to you so that way you know what is going on and you know what to do. So God is guiding them, just like how God is guiding us today, which is a wonderful thing. So it says, "Tell all the congregation of Israel." Notice he said, "I just now realized this." It says, "Tell all the congregation of Israel." It didn't say tell the enemies. It didn't say tell the bitter betties and the negative nancies it didn't say tell pharaoh that's why it's so important that whenever you speak you're speaking to the right people and you don't tell people things that you're not supposed to tell them like you're supposed to keep things confidential you know what i mean i know that might sound conflicting but here's the thing when god speaks to you he's talking to you he's he's giving you direction and he's not telling your enemy what he's telling you you know what i mean like cuz god's not going to set you up for failure Now there are people in this world that say, "Oh, well God's the author of death and disease and all that stuff." That's not even true. Far from it. That's a lie straight out of the pits of hell. See, here's the thing. Why would God go to your enemy and tell him secrets that he's told you? You know, God never does that. Never, never, never. So you can always trust God. He will speak to you directly. He's not concerned. He's I shouldn't say he's not concerned. He's not going to turn his back on you and embrace your enemy. I think that's what some people think God does, like when something bad happens in their life. Like for example, let's say you applied for a promotion at your job and your bad wicked coworker, which they are out there, they're usually vipers and they're usually women. Um let's say the the viper woman gets the promotion and you don't. And you think, "Well, God must be rewarding my enemy." No. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. You are still in the palm of God's hand. God never rewards bad behavior. Never. So please be aware of that. It says tell all the congregation of Israel on the 10th day of this month they are to take a lamb or young goat for themselves according to the size of the household of which he is the father, a lamb or young goat for each household. Now if the household is too small for a lamb to be consumed, Let him and his next door neighbor take one according to the number of people in the household. So waste not what not kind of thing. According to what each man can eat, you are to divide the lamb. What's interesting here is that no one is left starving with God. God provides. Even if, you know, let's say you have a, a small household. Let's say you're single. 
A lot of single people feel forgotten in this world. And I know how that feels. So but see, here's the thing. God doesn't forget about you. He always gives you what you need when you need it. There's always provision with the Lord. Always remember that. Your lamb or young goat shall be perfect without blemish or bodily defect. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Have you ever noticed that God gives us the best of everything? Like this is very specific. It says this lamb or goat shall be perfect without blemish or bodily defect. God always gives us the best gifts. And what's interesting is that this is a foreshadowing of his son Jesus dying for us, who was the firstborn without blemish, no no defect whatsoever. Amazingly beautiful. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to slaughter it at twilight. What's very interesting there is that it was the Jews that killed Jesus. It wasn't the Gentiles, it was the Jews. They set him up for failure. Totally. But what they don't realize is that what they meant for his harm actually came out for good because evil can can never and will never triumph over God because Jesus won that victory over 2000 years ago. Like technically the battle was already won way before Jesus was even born because God had a divine plan for mankind to save us. That's the beauty of our heavenly Father. He always has a plan and it's always for our good, always always. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel above the door of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the meat that same night, roasted in fire, and they shall eat with it unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted in fire, both its head and legs along with its inner parts. You shall let none of the meat remain until the morning, and anything that remains left over until morning, you shall burn completely in the fire. What this reminds me of is the first communion. So, It's one of those things that, you know, whenever we partake of communion, we are partaking of Jesus' body and his blood. He is the sacrificial lamb. And I remember when I when I was a Eucharistic minister, you know, whenever we had leftover wafer things, um the priest would put those back um I forget what that thing is called, not the temple. I should know the word. But basically the priest puts it back uh, in the sacristy or whatever. And if there's any wine left over, it's us or the priests that have to consume it like we can't let anything go past the night so to speak like we can't just let it sit somewhere we have to consume it it's the same thing here now you are to eat it in this manner or prepared for a journey with your loins girded that is with the outer garment tucked into the band your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand you shall eat it quickly it is the lord's passover so basically always be ready for the lord always be ready that doesn't mean be nervous or fearful if anything the israelites they were ready to get out of egypt they were ready to move forward but they had to be ready for it they had to be prepared for it it's kind of like i remember when i was running in cross country i was always prepared for my meet but i was always a little nervous you know we're at the starting line all these runners it's like you know i'm ready for it but i'm still a little nervous but i'm ready you know what i mean it's the same thing with israelites They know the goal. They know the path. Technically, yes and no, but they know they're going to be leaving. 
But you, know, you have to be ready. Even in, even in your little nervousness, you have to be ready. That's what this is talking about. For I, the Lord, will pass through the land of Egypt on this night and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and animal. Against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments exhibiting their worthlessness. Woo! Strong words. I am the Lord. I love this. If you think your enemies are stronger than you and God, you, you, I'm so glad to tell you you are so wrong. You see, because here's the thing. God struck down the firstborn of both man and animal all throughout Egypt. And Egypt was a large empire back then and very powerful. Like, can you imagine how many people died and how many animals died because the Lord struck them down? Literally just struck them down. That is the amazing power of our God. So if you think your enemy is stronger than you, you are so wrong. I'm glad that you're wrong. See, because here's the thing. Here's the thing. Excuse my accent there with Oklahoma. <laughs> Sometimes I have to cover that up. Here's the thing. God is stronger than your enemy. He is always stronger than our enemies. And he can strike them down at any time, anywhere. And that includes situations. You know, it doesn't matter where you are, what's going on. God has the final say. The enemy never has the final say. And I want to mention this. If you're going through a tough situation, whether it's at work or the family member or maybe a weird neighbor like some of the ones I have, just know that God has the final say. And also, what I've learned, and this did not dawn me till like, I don't know, last few years or something. I don't know the exact day, but it just is recent. I'll say it's recent that this dawned on me. Evil people typically don't realize that they are being manipulated by an evil force. I'm not saying that they're necessarily possessed, but what they're doing is serving the will and the plan of the devil whenever they are misbehaving or being cruel and evil. They may not be demonic and they may not be possessed per se, but whenever someone takes on the traits of someone or something that's bad, All they're doing is fulfilling what the devil wants them to do. Like whenever it talks about here in the Bible when it says that, you know, we don't fight, we don't fight, we don't fight, excuse me, let me get a drink of water. We don't fight against, against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That's what that is referring to, and that didn't dawn on me until recently. So here's the thing. One thing that strangely brought me comfort You know, whenever I'm dealing with bad people, and there are some squirrely people in this world that are not in prison, um, here's the thing. You know, when I take a step back and I take a deep breath, like, you know, just breathe, and I just think, you know, what is this person doing? And sometimes you don't always have the option to, to stop and think because sometimes they're, they're weird moments and you have to get away from somebody, that kind of thing. But I'm saying, like, Most situations, you have a moment to reflect, right? Most situations are not fight or flight. They're just ridiculousness, right? So one thing I've learned to do is just take a step back, take a, take a deep breath, and think, okay, what is this person's intention and what are they trying to do? Because I'm always taken aback by evil behavior, always, always, always. And I think it should always be like that for us. Like we shouldn't be, oh, yeah, that's just what it is. No. We should never tolerate stuff, never. We should never be so used to it that it becomes the norm. And so what I've learned is that the closer I get to God, 
the more insight I have because God gives me wisdom and I requested that because I was getting so sick and tired of bad people one-upping me. And I'm like, what is going on? But see here's the thing. I was feeling bad for not understanding certain situations. Sorry, my phone's acting weird. It just flashed something. So, but anyway, whenever whenever something bad happens or whenever something funky happens, it may not be like extremely evil, but whenever something funky happens, I just kind of be like What in the world? Like, where did this come from? Like, sometimes I would just be blindsided, and then I would feel bad. It's like, well, am I ignorant? Am I stupid? Am I foolish? And it's like, you know what? That's what the enemy wants us to think. He wants to think we're so stupid, we're morons, we're idiots, we can't handle anything. No, 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 no. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Than he that is in the world. Okay. So what that means is that the devil is crafty. Okay, he's crafty, and what he likes us to think is that. We can't handle stuff and that whatever happens to us is our fault. That's kind of that cult-like thinking again where if something bad happens to you, it's your fault, you're stupid, God's punishing you, it's the fickle finger of fate, you know. No, 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 don't fall for that. What's interesting is that in this verse it says the Lord, okay, the Lord struck down the firstborn of both man and beast. Okay? So It's interesting there that he struck down the firstborn of all of those. So that there's a lot of death there. A lot of death. Okay, but you have to remember here these people were pagan. These were not believers in the Lord. They they did not value human life. Um they they really did not value um the importance of animals and I did, well it was misguided because they were pagan. They had gods that were in the shape of different animals. Sometimes it may have had the the head of a It's not a cheetah, but was it a cheetah? I'm trying to think. Or a jaguar or a cheetah? I'm trying to remember what animals they had in Egypt. But anyway, had the had the head of a cat, a wild cat. I'll just say that, and then the the torso of a hippo. So it's kind of like they're glorifying all these animals that can't save them. So it's one of those things also that whenever you put hope in something that's false, there will be a tremendous fall. and that is the fault of the person. Okay, because the person believed in something false. What's also interesting with the Egyptians here is that the Lord struck down the firstborn of both uh so I say male, but yeah, male um of human of mankind and beast, right? So the Israelites are going to be leaving. Egypt has just lost a firstborn of their of their people and their their animals, right? So they've lost like half their labor force. Well, let me take that back. They've lost all let me let me reword this. They're going to lose all of their labor force, which is the Israelites. Let me rephrase that. And then once the Israelites leave, the Egyptians are going to be down population-wise by probably 50%. Not only that, they're going to be down 50% at least of their animals. So they're not going to have as much meat to eat for food. They're not going to have as much milk. They're not going to have as much produce. I mean, they're just not. It's just It's it's one of those things that this is God punishing not only Egypt in general but very specific. He's punishing the fact that these people were evil. They were pagan. And not only that, their economy was a false economy. So the Egyptians made so much money. If we had to compare it to to, uh, to today's currency, I would say 
you know, the Egyptian empire probably made billions of dollars off of enslaved labor. And they were cruel to the Israelites. They were cruel to them. So they made all this money off these people, were cruel to them. So God's going to say, "Okay, I'm striking you down for this." So not only did God strike the people, but he struck their labor force, he struck their animals. So now Egypt, they're going to have a hard time eating. They're going to have a hard time getting the produce and the nutrients that they need to survive. Why? Because they were thieves. For over 400 years, the Egyptian empire was one of the biggest thieves that ever walked the face of this earth. Do you really think God's going to let that slide? No. That's why these plagues were so severe on Egypt because nothing escapes the eyes of God. Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. God always defends, always. God is not fake. He is real, he is true, he is genuine and he loves his people. That includes you and that includes me. It's a wonderful thing. Let me get a drink of water. So very interesting here. There there are so many different things that go into God's holy word that it's just like wow, I never thought of that. It's so fascinating to me. It goes on to say, the blood shall be a sign for you on the doorpost of the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I shall pass over you and no affliction shall happen to you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, isn't that amazing? So just know that when God strikes your enemy, He's not striking you. So don't pity your enemy. Don't pity them and like, "Oh, well, maybe I should shouldn't have reported them." Yes, you should have. Yes, yes, yes. Stand up for yourself. Report them. Do what's right. You know, don't don't be a sellout. You know, I heard a really good uh, message a while ago that, you know, whenever you you sell out, you're basically sacrificing your integrity. You know, what's interesting is that bad people, wicked people, evil people, they expect you to compromise. They want you to compromise. So that way you sell out on your integrity and that you won't hope for anything better. You won't strive for something better. You won't raise the bar. You'll lower it, lower it, lower it. And what's interesting is that whenever we lower the bar, whenever we lower our standards in our lives, we get lower and lower and lower literally into the dirt. because that's where bad behavior belongs is in the dirt. You know, we are called God's people for a reason and we are supposed to be looking up to our father, not looking down to the deceiver, okay? Important there. Also, this is another thing I I found very interesting about God's power. God is so powerful that he can strike down all the bad bad things but keep you and me alive. So death and disease may be all around us. like COVID-19, the plague, epidemic, pandemic, you know, high gas prices, but you and I are protected. I just kind of have to go, wow, like what do I have to be complaining about? Like, you know, sometimes I I laugh about, I'm like, why am I getting so upset? Like, why am I getting so frustrated with my life? Like, I'm I'm taken care of. God loves me. Like, that's why I don't watch the news. Ever ever ever. Like, can you imagine if CNN was around when this is going on when god was destroying the egyptians oh my goodness cnn msnbc um some of the other news stations i have no doubt the liberal left would be on the side of the egyptians and would be like you know we really shouldn't be doing this to people that have harmed other people you know it's just you know it's just not good 
And, you know, you know, who is God to make decisions like this? I mean, that's the liberal left right there, literally. Because typically the liberal left does not believe in God. And if they do believe in God, they're, they're weak, whiny people. It's just like they don't really, well, here's the thing. They may believe in God, but they don't believe in the goodness of God, I think is one of their biggest issues. And, you know, they, they believe more in math and science Well, that's the elitist in them. And it's like, you know, yes, we are sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. And yes, we should hold our head high, shoulders back. But that doesn't mean we're pompous or arrogant or that we are elitist. Yes, we are sons and daughters of the God Most High. But that doesn't mean that we should have the tough, you know, kind of puffy nose kind of thing. It, it doesn't give us permission to be pompous or arrogant. But unfortunately, whenever you have elitists, like those that work for CNN and MSNBC and some of these other shows, they're very much elitist. Like, I can't stand to watch those shows. They've always got some commentator on there. I'm just like, oh, really? What degree do you have that you say you're a doctor, but you've never been in medical school? And I understand there are doctorates. You know, like, it's not always for medical school and things of that nature, but they really love that title. They really do. I've noticed that. Can you drink a water there? So moving on with this chapter... Next, it talks about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So very specific here, these guidelines that God is giving to the Hebrews. It's very important because he's letting them know, I have not forgotten you, and this is how I show my love to you. I'm helping you to get out of Egypt, and I'm going to help you establish a foundation, a strong foundation for your faith, and also for future generations. See, that's the love of our Heavenly Father, and what a glor glorious thing that is. It says, now this day will be a memorial to you. So basically, you know, remember it. Don't ever lose sight of it. Always remember that God was the one that helped us. I love this. Now this day will be a memorial to you. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. So basically, when you remember it, be happy, be joyful. Let it be a feast. Like, don't let it be something sad and dreary. No, no, no. It needs to be a feast because everything that God does is good. It's true and it's pure. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as an ordinance forever. So that means, like, from then on to the end of time, you are supposed to celebrate forever this particular moment. Can you imagine that? That would be like you living forever And you always remember to celebrate your birthday. Like, that's how important this is. And if anything, it's even more important than your birthday. It's more important because it's a feast from our Heavenly Father. So it's very important. In the celebration of the Passover in future years, so he's letting them know, hey, going forward, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. But on the first day you shall remove the leaven from your houses because it represents the spread of sin. For whoever eats leavened bread on the first day through the seventh day... That person shall be cut off and excluded from the atonement made for Israel. On the first day of the feast, you shall have a holy and solemn assembly. So basically take it serious and you know, remember why you are having this ceremony. Like why are you having this feast? He's not saying be sad and dreary. He's saying, hey, just remember the importance of this. You know what I mean? And on the seventh day, there shall be another holy and solemn assembly. No work of any kind shall be done on those days except for the preparation of food, which every person must eat. Only that may be done by you. That's very interesting. It says, which every person must eat. So for those that are starving, 
Ask God right here, right now to give you provision. Ask him to give you a feast. Watch, just watch how that plays out because God will bring someone to you and ask you, hey, we have a really large meal. Would you like to have dinner with us? Just watch God bring wonderful people into your life that actually care about you, okay? Goes on to say, you shall also observe the feast of unleavened bread because on this very day I brought your host grouped according to tribal armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an ordinance forever. So he's saying you need to remember this forever, meaning teach your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, like don't let it escape you. Don't let it leave you. Always remember the goodness of God, right? Like don't remember, the, you know, the, the whip of Pharaoh. No, remember the goodness of God always. Goes on to say in the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month. Or sorry, of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread and continue until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. Have you ever noticed how specific God is about day and night? There's a reason for it. Seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. Whoever eats what is leavened shall be cut off and excluded from the atonement made for the congregation of Israel, whether a stranger or native-born. You know that's very interesting that. What dawned on me there is that sometimes people make exceptions to the rule for people that they shouldn't have an exception to the rule. So whatever God's law says, it's applied to us equally. Just because someone claims to be ignorant, that doesn't mean that they can escape God's law or the laws of the land. So that's why you have laws is that it creates equality. That's what that means. It goes on to say, you shall eat nothing leavened, and all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, "Go and take a lamb for yourselves, according to the size of your families, and slaughter the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood which is in the basin, and touch some of the blood to the lintel above the doorway, and to the two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of this house until morning." So. Basically, if they had gone out, they could have been struck down because they're they're not protected by the blood of the lamb. So here's the thing: if you have not given your life to Christ, you are not protected by the blood of the lamb. That's what that means, and that's a foreshadowing to our blessed Lord Jesus Christ dying at Calvary and being being crucified for us. So recognize that there is protection within God's family; always has been, always will be. We still have to do our part. Like you know, ignorance is not always bliss. It may be in our society, in this world, where you know some people. I've known some of the happiest people are those that are that are. They're just extremely ignorant, but they they also don't understand the seriousness of some things that are going on. And so sometimes the extremely ignorant, they make themselves extremely vulnerable. That's the thing. So yes, they may be happy for the moment. Because they're not having to deal with the stress of life, things of that nature, and, and some of the people that remind me of that are Floridians. That's what they call themselves. Uh, people that live in Florida that are from there, and then, and then uh, Californians, people from California that just, you know, it's like they're surfers all day, and they don't understand what's going on in the rest of the country, and then they, they don't take notice of it until it actually affects them. Well, that's a very selfish way of living and a very stupid way of living, because they've basically just thrown away their safety. And their their livelihood for the sake of just false happiness, like ignorance, is not always bliss. It is not. So just be aware of that. Lovely drink of water. So moving on, it says this is kind of a long chapter. 
For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. So God always strikes your enemy. He's not striking you. He's striking your enemy. And when he sees the blood on the lintel above the entryway and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to slay you. Interesting there, right? So God knows what he's doing. He knows how to take out the bad guys, so just be aware of that. You shall observe this event concerning Passover as an ordinance for you and for your children forever. So don't ever forget how much God loves you. That's what this is saying. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep and observe this service. What's interesting is that it's reminding them that hey, yes, we are in Egypt right now, and yes, we're surrounded by death, but the Lord is passing over us. He is defending us, he is protecting us, and He's promised us the promised land. What have we got to worry about? So just move forward. But at the right time, right? So be careful with that. It says, "When your children say to you, what does this service mean to you?" So because kids ask questions, right? You know what I find interesting is that there's so many parents, so many parents that are ignorant on on how to answer questions to their children. I'm like, "Why don't you just answer it in the way that you wish your parents had answered it?" You know what I mean? Like just be real with your kids. Don't be weird, but you know, but be real, you know, because I feel like parents, I feel like they're, I feel like they're always trying to rely on somebody else to raise their kids, whether it's the government, the public schools, socialism, I mean, just all this stuff, government programs. It's like none of those entities are, are the parent. They're not the mother or the or the father of your child. Like, take ownership of that relationship with your children because it's very important. You know, I'll say this, there was one um girl that I know, well she's not a girl, she's a woman now, but um she and her husband were talking at dinner one night. We happened happened to be over there celebrating, I guess, a holiday or something or whatever. And um her and her husband were were talking about how their their daughter um goes to daycare. Well, both their kids go, but she's old enough that she's learning um I guess language patterns and she's learning words and so she'll come home from daycare and she'll know like this this ghetto talk and she'll have this ghetto way of moving her head and stuff and we just looked at them like okay she's getting that from the workers at the daycare like you know do you not care who is really raising your kids I mean th- these kids are at the daycare for almost like a full-time job I mean really it's like 8 hours a day every day 5 days a week like you that you know guess where they're going to be learning this stuff you know and, and, you know they noticed that their child was not really acting like their child anymore it's like well because She doesn't really view you as her mommy anymore, so whose fault is that? That's yours because you put your child in the hands of somebody else. That's just an underpaid, ghetto, trashy worker that is teaching your child some really horrible things. And I don't mean that all daycares are like that, but here's the thing, you get what you pay for. If you don't want to raise your kid, that's on you. Totally on you. Goes on to say, "You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover." For he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the Lord bowed their, sorry, and the people bowed their heads low and worshipped God. Then the Israelites went and did as they had been told. So they're being obedient. So that's good. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Now it happened at midnight that the Lord struck every firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh. Woo! he's going straight to the top who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon so even prisoners are not excluded from this 
and all the firstborn of the cattle. Very interesting there. So they're losing a lot of livestock, a lot. That 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 means their economy is going to fail big time. Pharaoh got up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry of heartache and sorrow in Egypt. You know, even your enemy has a violin and can play it, but that doesn't mean you should feel sorry for them. So be aware of that. Don't take pity on your on your enemies. Pity should be reserved for orphans and widows, and even then, you need to help the orphans and the widow. Pity doesn't pay bills, and it doesn't help people have food. So just be aware of that. Pharaoh got up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry of heartache and sorrow in Egypt. For there was no house where there was not someone dead. How creepy would that be? Then he called for Moses and Aaron at night and said, "Get up, get out from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go serve the Lord as you said. Take both your flocks and your herds as you have said, and go and ask your God to bless me also." So it's interesting is that Pharaoh. Not only is he asking him to leave, but he's saying, "Hey, could you please ask your God not to bother me anymore?" <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the nerve of him? So here's the thing: Have you ever noticed how sometimes your enemy, not only do they want to hurt you and destroy you, they want what you have? That's a thief. That is a thief. So Pharaoh's a moron. Just realize that bad people are really morons. So just know that every enemy you have is stupid because they're going up against you because when they go up against you they're going up against your your heavenly father and that's really dumb. Moving on it says this is about the exodus of Israel. It says the Egyptians anxiously, anxiously, so not pleasantly, the Egyptians anxiously urged the people to leave like get out of here, leave, you're horrible. To send them out of the land quickly for they said we will all be dead so they're recognizing that the longer they keep these people here the longer they keep the israelites enslaved the worse their lives are going to get so they're like please leave go away leave us so the people took their dough before it was leavened their kneading bowls being bound up in their clothes on their shoulders now the israelites had acted in accordance with the word of moses and they had asked the egyptians for articles of silver and articles of of gold and clothing so remember that one of the promises of god was that the israelites god's people are going to come out of egypt but they will not be poor they will be blessed they will have abundance and guess what the enemy will pay the enemy will pay the enemy always pays so don't ever worry about that whatever the enemy takes from you whatever the the devil steals from you you will get it back Seven to a hundredfold. Don't worry about it. The Lord always provides. Always, always. Drink of water. Okay, so moving on. It says the Lord gave the people favor. Woo! I love favor. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. So all the Egyptians knew these people were highly favored and don't mess with them. So that they gave them what they asked. They didn't argue. They didn't barter. You know, they they didn't bargain. They said, "Yes, here, take it, go, fine, whatever you want. Rob the fridge, who cares? Just go, right?" And so they plundered the Egyptians of those things. It's awesome, right? God always provides. Now the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about six hundred thousand men on foot, besides the women and of the children. A mixed multitude of non-Israelites from foreign nations also went with them, along with both flocks and herds. a very large number of livestock 
and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they brought from Egypt. It was not leavened, since they were driven quickly from Egypt and could not delay, nor had they prepared any food for themselves. Now the period of time the children of Israel lived in Egypt was four hundred and thirty years. Long time, right? At the end of the four hundred and thirty years, to that very day, all the host of the Lord gathered into tribal armies left the land of Egypt. So just imagine the, the huge flight that left Egypt that day. You know, if you have not watched the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, you need to watch that. I watch that every year, sometimes twice a year. It's a great movie. It's a great interpretation. It's not completely accurate, but it is a great interpretation of what happened and just how bad it was for the Israelites living in Egypt. And then when they left, they left with all this stuff. It's amazing. It's so amazing. But to me, it just truly represents the promises of God that always come through. They always come to pass. Always, always, always. Remember that. Next, it talks about the ordinance of the Passover. So and this will be the end of chapter 12. So it says... It is a night of watching to be observed for the Lord for having brought them out of the land of Egypt. This same night is for the Lord to be observed and celebrated, so observe and celebrate by all the Israelites throughout their generations. So meaning observe and celebrate not just tonight but for all future generations. So don't ever remember the good things that God has done for you. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, "This is the ordinance of the Passover." No foreigner is to eat it, so he's very specific. So basically, when God calls you his own, he's not talking about other people. He's talking about you because he loves you, very much so. But every man's slave who's brought with money, or sorry, bought with money, after you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. No stranger, temporary resident or foreigner, or hired servant shall eat it. It is to be eaten inside one house. You shall not take any of the meat outside the house. Nor shall you break any of its bones. The entire congregation of Israel shall keep and celebrate it. See, continue the celebration. Continue to celebrate. You know what it reminds me of? There are different cultures where, whenever someone gets married, they celebrate. I shouldn't say someone. A male and female get married, husband and wife. Okay, because it is between one man and one woman. That's that's God's law. There are some cultures and some societies. They don't just celebrate that one little ceremony, you know, where they are exchanging vows. I can't remember which society it is or culture that celebrates. It's like for like a month or something. It's a big to do whenever people get married, especially the bride, because you are combining two families. So it's a celebration because it's a combining of two families that create another. They they com they combine to form another branch on the family tree. Not only that. They have their own family tree, so it is an extension of that generation. So it's a very wonderful, beautiful thing. So that's kind of what this is talking about here, which says Israel shall keep and celebrate, especially for future generations. So yes, you have the family tree of God, but you also have your family tree, your branches, and you're spreading out because that is the blessing of Abraham. Always, always. Goes on to say, if a stranger living temporarily among you wishes to celebrate the Passover to the Lord, all his males must be circumcised, and then he may participate and celebrate it like one that is born in the land. But no uncircumcised person may eat it. The same law shall apply to the native-born and to the stranger who lives temporarily among you. Then all the Israelites did so. They did just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. 
And on that very same day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt by their host, their tribal armies. How amazing is that? So what's interesting is that the Israelites went from being slaves to being a mighty, ar- mighty army of God. How wonderful is that? Just a mighty army. That's just a beautiful thing. So that's why it's so important to realize that when it says... you know it brought or he brought the israelites out of the land of egypt by their host their tribal armies so you have these the, these different branches you know within within the um within the hebrews so you have these different tribes okay they know which tribe they belong to whether it's judah levi benjamin you know whatever the case may be they know what tribe they belong to but they came together as a people and they left So, you know, it's one of those things that we need to remember that we don't do this alone. You know, God is always with us and always for us. Excuse me, but we need to be aware that we need to be around like-minded people. Even if they are in a different tribe, we are still God's people and he loves us very much. So, but that is it for today's podcast. We went through a really good chapter, but as usual, I pray that you're happy, happy, healthy and whole. Sorry, I can't talk. Uh, I can talk. I should reword that. I can talk. I'm just talking too fast. But as usual, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole. That you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye bye. small